Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode number 76. Welcome to Positive Productivity Podcast, where we empower our audience to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success, especially in the face of adversity. Listen in as our guests reveal their stories of challenges and hurdles and how they overcame defeat and became triumphant in their endeavors. Let's get motivated and move forward with your host, Kim Sutton. Back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton. And today I have Gretchen Mall from Gretchen Mall Consulting here to join us. Gretchen is a sales and success coach and the head boss lady again at Gretchen Mall Consulting. Welcome, Gretchen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. I always loved chatting with you. Would you mind giving the audience a little bit about your background and what you do? Sure, absolutely. So um, I'm a sales and success strategist. What that means is I help entrepreneurs create five-figure months that turn to six and seven-figure years doing what sets their soul on fire through a combination of a bunch of different things like uh, money mindset and some social selling techniques and a little bit of uh, neuro-linguistic programming. It's awesome. I love what I do. I love all that. And I want to hear more about it. Like the, I know I've heard of NLP through Tony Robbins, but can you just touch on that a little bit more for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I feel like I should be like disclaimer, you know what I mean? Like as far as like using it as a sales tactic, you know, you can be get really manipulative. I think there's a lot of, I think everybody has had one of those experiences where you came across a salesperson that was like super manipulative and crazy. And that's not what I'm about for the record. But using NLP basically is to break it down is how your brain is wired. And we have all these patterns that we use. So Kim, I don't know if it's ever happened to you. This totally happened to me every once in a while where like you get in the car you're not really paying attention and then you like just end up at work and you didn't like consciously drive there, but you got there somehow. Right. And you forget, like you don't remember driving the five minutes on your way there. Exactly. You don't remember doing anything. You were thinking about something totally different, but your brain on autopilot got you there. Right. So that's how the programming works in your brain. And so a lot of times like with sales and things that we're doing, we're used to doing things a certain way. We have this pattern that our brain is used to doing. And whether that's like an old purchasing pattern or a money story that we've been telling ourselves or something our parents told us as a kid, you know, we have these stories. And using NLP, what we do um, and what I teach my clients to do is to disrupt that pattern. Okay. And then you can enter in a new choice. So for instance, if you were, you know, having problems with your, your money story, for instance, and you had this belief, like, I always have to work hard for money. I work hard for money. If you want more money, you have to work harder. There are certain things you can do that actually, like, will shock somebody. And there's a couple different ways, but, like, Tony Robbins, for instance, uses, like, shocking language all the time. That's why he's always dropping, like, these F-bombs and stuff. Oh, he shocked me with, with what, I'm not your guru? Right? I had we no turned- idea he had that type of language. All the time. That's one of the easiest ways to do it is to use disruptive language. But there's a bunch of other, you know, ways that you can do it. You know, asking somebody like a really bold question or like one of my favorite examples is like if you're going into your job and you want to ask for a raise and you want to really get like a power frame with like NLP, like you go and you sit behind the boss's desk and you take a bite of his sandwich as he's sitting there, like you're going to disrupt the power frame and he's going to be like, what? 
And then you can introduce your idea about, you know, hey, I want this raise. Because you did this, like, really bold, out-of-the-box thing that is out of a pattern. And it's going to shock him. And he's going to be like, oh, my God, what are you, why are you eating my sandwich? Right. But why wouldn't he just kick you out? A lot of times people don't. When, when, you, in, when you interrupt or introduce a new idea, like, almost every single time, it shocks them. And they're like, wait, what? And then you have, you have like maybe a four or five second opportunity to introduce your new idea or to introduce the new belief system or whatever it is that you're doing. Like this is kind of along the same programming of people who want to get like hypnotized to stop smoking or something. Or if you, like I saw this the other day where people were using NLP to convince themselves they didn't like ice cream. So you just rewire, you know, how your brain is firing so that ice cream now reminds you of something that you don't like. And then it, your brain associates it with that so that you never eat the ice cream again. Right. Huh. Like it can get really crazy. So as far as like sales go, which is like my arena, a lot of what I use it for is just to disrupt people's patterns to get them to think of something else. Because if you're looking at it from a science perspective, this is like a lot of background in psychology. So if anybody has that background, shout out to you. But there's like three different levels of your brain, right? So you have like the, the earliest part of your brain, which is, I call it like a croc brain. But that's the part of your brain that keeps you alive when a lion is chasing you. Like, oh, God, fight or flight, like your amygdala. And then you have the next part of the brain that develops is like your middle brain. And that's kind of like the subconscious stuff because you have so many thoughts like, you know, heartbeat, breathe in, breathe out, all that stuff. That All that's in your middle brain. And then you have the outer part of your brain, which is your neocortex. And that's where like your logical thinking is, where your your reasoning and your decision making and stuff comes from. So especially when you're pitching somebody, like if I'm sharing with you my idea or something, Kim, you know, I'm talking to you from my neocortex, but your brain is filtering everything through your crock brain. And for that, it's just, you know, is it safe? Is, you know, is it a danger? Like, is it safe? Is it a danger? And is it interesting? And if you can't trigger any of those things, people, people tune you out. But if you trigger one of those things, then they'll send the brain signals back up through the middle brain into your neocortex, and then we can communicate, you know, logic to logic, <laughs> if you will. But if you don't trigger one of those things, that's how you lose people's attention. That's how they kind of zone out or whatever, because you're not deemed interesting, dangerous. You know, you're just, eh, it's nothing, and you keep moving. So we really, I mean, we have to work to get past everybody's stone wall in some capacity when we're talking to them. Absolutely, absolutely. And whether you come off as, being a danger. So like, for instance, the, the territory thing where I sit down in my boss's seat and eat his sandwich at his desk, like that's moving in on his territory. So your brain's like mm, danger because it's very primitive. You know I mean? This is fight or flight. So then it passes the signals up to your, your neocortex. And then, you know, then we're actually communicating, you know, logic to logic. Um, I'm over here laughing because that's almost like when I sit down in the driver's seat, when the whole family goes out instead of my husband sitting in the seat. Because that yeah. definitely awakens the <laughs> the fight or flight in his brain. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Every time you disrupt somebody's pattern, you know, then all of a sudden they're more aware. They have a heightened alert. And it, it doesn't always have to be for scary things or crazy things. You know, like, you know, if you were to watch like a scary movie, for instance, and they have that like shocking where somebody goes, ah, and they jump out at you. Like they're just disrupting your pattern. And then it, you know, passes those brains up to your signal like danger. Right. So you also mentioned social selling. Yes. I, I would love to hear more about that as well. Well, a lot of, if you think over the last like 15 years, the entire how we do business as a culture has changed, right? It's pivoted a lot. And now we have people who are buying their groceries online, people who are 
you know, things that we used to do all the time. For instance, if you look at like car sales, for instance, they've completely revolutionized over the last 15 years because of the information that's available. You know what I mean? We don't go in to buy cars anymore having no idea what it's worth or if we're getting a good deal or not. Everybody's done research on the Internet and you go in knowing what the fair price, right? Completely changed what they do. And not necessarily for the worse, I don't think, but it just is a change, right? Oh, I mean, so, we can even walk into the, the car lot and know how many accidents the car's been in before we even talk to the to the salesman. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then same with, you know, anything that you're buying. If you're buying securities, like you can get on your phone and Google exactly what their percentages are that they're taking. And all, like information has just, it, because it's become so accessible, it's just completely revolutionized how sales is doing. And a lot of sales jobs have kind of gone by the wayside, right? Or just changed a little bit. I'm not going to say they're completely gone, but they've changed a lot. And social selling is, the combination of using all of this high tech stuff and then taking it to a high touch because almost everybody, I mean, every single person, but like almost everybody is online now. Right. And especially if you're doing like a bigger purchase item, the odds are that you have done online research is like astronomical. And so if you are in a business, if you're an entrepreneur, you have a product or a service that you're offering to people, you need to have that online presence. But not everybody buys online necessarily. But in a time and age when it's really easy to become a number and to get things without ever really creating relationships, for me, especially if you're having a bigger ticket item, uh, the relationship is, is where it's at. So you got to take people from their internet research, from the online space into this like high touch relationship status. And it's that combination of both of those that is social selling. Where do you think people, especially those in the small business, B2B, maybe services area, could make the most improvement? Like, is there a general area that you see people forgetting about when it comes to social selling? I think over and over and over again, um, if you are in a small business or even, even business to business, I think the opportunity is to really look at people don't pull out their wallets like because of a Facebook post or because of an ad necessarily. Like if you look at Groupon, for instance, not to pick on Groupon, they have a huge following. Right? A lot of people do Groupons, but what they don't think about is what is the upgrade capacity. Like if I sold 100 Groupons of those 100 people, which one of them are going to come back and buy something else? Um, because just because you're getting the traffic doesn't necessarily mean that it's profitable. And that's a really important distinction to have. Oh, I've been so guilty of that myself. Like I've gone into hermit mode where I've really been in course creation and I've <laughs> been off of all social media for months while doing that. And then I come back and I just try to launch. And in the meantime, I've lost all connection with the communities that I was a part of. And there's so many new members coming in every day and they don't know me and you can't do it that way. No, it has to, it has to be both. Like it has to be both relationships and the tech. I mean, I think that you probably could still, if you wanted to keep it like just you, you could probably hustle something on the side that was just purely local. But if you want to get out of the hustle and into, you know, scaling a business into something big at some point, then you're going to have to embrace the online world, internet advertising and word of mouth. Like you're just going to have to go there and to marry them. If you can figure out a way to like seamlessly marry you know, the high tech and the high touch together, that's where you really start to see magic. Right. So how does positive productivity, how would you say that comes into play with both you and your business and your clients and their businesses? 
Well, it's funny that you say that, actually, because I literally did a whole teaching module on this this morning already. But if you're it's really easy to get busy, right? Like we can all be busy all the time. There's a ton of stuff that I can be busy with. Um, but in my business and everybody's business, you really need to be cognizant of what are the income producing activities that only I can do. And then what are some other things that other people can be doing for me? Right. So for instance, if you have a problem with your printer and you spend the next two hours trying to figure out how to fix your printer when you could have spent 10 minutes going to Staples and printing it out and coming back, like, was that the most productive use of your time? Oh, right. Uh, you know what I mean? Just stuff like that over and over again. Like it's really easy to get busy, but if you're not focusing on, you know, what is productive for you, that can get, that's a really dangerous spiral. And then the positivity part of it is, is super huge. I think knowing, keeping, keeping a good attitude and being optimistic, but at the same time, like knowing when to pivot and what your own limitations are, like that's, that's the name of the game right there. I think people spend years and years and years trying to find that balance. So how did you find that balance in your business? Or are you still working on that? Oh, I think that's a great question. I think everybody is still working on it, if, if it makes sense. It's like one of those um, brushing your teeth things. Like you can't do it once and you're done. It's one of those things you do daily. You know, for me, I have I have two businesses that I run. Um, I've got two kids and a husband and then, of course, a house and all this stuff. My kids are a little older, and so they have all of their things they do, wrestling and theater and dance and all the stuff that they have to be at. And so it's a constant balance of what do I have to do? Like what is Gretchen, only Gretchen can do? What are some things that I can, you know, give to my husband? What are some things I can give to my assistant to take things off of my plate? But at the same time, you know, still be like moving the football down the field, if that makes sense. Like still working towards those goals at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. I'm actually up against a wall tonight because we've got a soccer game two counties away and a choir concert. So here (laughs) and these are just for the two that are in school. I'm a little bit afraid about when the three and unders, those three all are in school. That's going to be fun. It is, it's, I mean, it's it is going to be fun. Act. I don't mean to be totally facetious, but it's definitely going to be the Sutton Circus around here more than it is so already. Oh, and I think every parent, whether you work at home or not, has that juggling. You know what I mean? There's always something to juggle and something to do. And um, that was one of the biggest reasons for me why I ended up going out and starting my own business, because I just I couldn't juggle everything I was doing and the day job that was just eating my life away. Oh, absolutely. I used, when I was employed by others and my sons were in school, I was so sad when I couldn't be at mother's breakfast or whatever special events they were doing. And there's still times I can't necessarily be at everything. And I, I think that needs to be sadly just a realization that a lot of successful parentpreneurs come to realize we just can't do everything. But we can definitely do more than we could, hopefully, than when we were employed. But yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's important to like prioritize, you know, what needs to happen and what doesn't need to happen. So, like, my son's on a travel wrestling team, and they practice twice a week for like two hours or something ridiculous. And I always schedule like I'm there, and I drop him off, and then I take client calls the entire time I'm there. Not that I can't also watch him, but it's not something I directly have to participate in, if that makes sense. Oh, my presence there is enough. (laughs) And it's a place that I know I'm going to be sitting down and I'm going to be in one place for a long enough amount of time. And there's Wi-Fi, and it like absolutely can be done. And that's just like a, a hack that I have made work for me. But I think that you'll find more and more and more. If you look around at other entrepreneurs who have kids, 
and they're in the same boat, like they're doing the same thing. There's just no other way. I love soccer practice nights, the nights that I can leave the littles at home with my husband and then go sit in the parking lot in the car by myself and oh yeah, be undisturbed for like two hours. You get so much done. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I've, I almost died this summer because my kids convinced me not to take them to summer camp. And so I was home all summer long running two businesses with two kids that every day were like, what are you going to do today? And I'm like, I'm working. What are you doing? Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Oh, it was a struggle. So did Pokemon Go help at all with that this past summer? You know, we didn't really get into that, but they are super into geocaching. That helped a lot. Gretchen and I had a quick chat pre-interview and I was talking about, we were talking about evergreen content and I was doing so (laughs) well at not dating this episode. And then I just threw Pokemon Go in there. Wow. Well, you never know. Maybe it's going to be around forever and everyone's going to be hunting the Pokemons. I have no idea. That would be awesome. I do have to say, now that I brought it in, though, that I actually drove around showing my husband where all the pickup spots were on Saturday <laughs> night after uh, after we went out for dinner because he didn't know where they were and he was out of balls. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> But I knew where they were. <laughs> hey, you know what? Sometimes you got to spice things up in a marriage. Right. <laughs> He's like, I just got four. It was like the highlight of Saturday evening. Life after kids. It, it right? definitely can be interesting. My husband and I have jokes now, like inside jokes that we laugh about. And it's like lines from movies because we love movies. But now it's like lines from little kid movies that nobody else gets. Right. <laughs> right. Definitely. Well, now that you brought up that, like I have found listeners, you know, these these episodes are unscripted and they really just go wherever. But I have, I've been watching endless quantities of Disney movies for the past few years and just recently watched Princess and the Frog for the first time. Well, mm-hmm. the first through tenth times, you know, like once they find <laughs> that one movie, then it just seems to be the one that goes on recycle constantly. And I love how I can find business, uh, find messages for my business in these different Disney movies. And again, Princess and the Frog, she sings a song about how she's almost there. And then Meet the Robinsons says, keep moving forward. And Finding Nemo is keep on swimming. And there's all these messages in all these movies that aren't just for kids. They they totally can be used in the entrepreneurial context as well. Absolutely. And I think that's, I know, like from my standpoint and in our lives, it's a super important point to bring up because like my daughter is getting ready to do the science fair. She didn't want to do the science fair and she had all these teams she wanted to try out for. And then she got kind of like a starting to chicken out. And we were literally talking in bed last night and she was like, well, what if everybody sees me fail? And I was like, babe, that's the point of the game. Like go out and fail 10 times and surprise yourself with something that you're good at. But being afraid to fail and afraid to try, like we have all these things, I think, especially in our culture of kids that get, you know, participation medals all the time and stuff. Like if you never go out and try and fail and you only do the things that you're good at, you'll never grow. You'll never find that thing that you love. And um, that's a huge, huge part of my key message is like, go fail. Go out and do something and mess it up. Like, you're going to fall forward, I promise you, every single time. Isn't that interesting? And with that said, I would love to get your take on something that my 10-year-old said to me. He's in fifth grade, and he was nominated and accepted to be the key represent or the only representative from his elementary school in the mayor's council. There's a 
maybe five elementary schools in our town. So he's one of five and he's decided that he didn't, he doesn't want to share it with any of his friends because he doesn't want any of them to be jealous or feel bad that they didn't get it. So I love that there's that bit of modesty there, but I almost want to encourage him to be proud of what he's got. But again, there's that, there's that line and you and I are in some of the same Facebook communities. And I know we see it in people who are in those communities with us. What is your stance for your clients? Like when they have a big launch, do they shout it from the hilltops or do they hold back and, and be reserved in sharing their successes? Well, one of my biggest business philosophies is to celebrate your wins and all of your wins, like all of them matter. So whether you had a really great conversation today with a potential client or you had a five figure month or you had a six figure launch or whatever it is, like celebrate. Cause I really truly believe like the more you celebrate the little things, the more things you have to celebrate. And I, I think it's that. a personal. Can you say that again? Yeah, absolutely. So celebrate all of your wins. Like, and it doesn't have to be anything huge. Like I'm not saying, you know, like celebrate your win and go to Mexico. Like you can do that, but the little things too, you know, like you, you hit a deadline or you accomplished all the things on your to-do list today. Like if you celebrate the little wins, then you'll have more wins to celebrate. That's literally like the law of attraction. And um, that's a huge part of my philosophy with my clients and with my tribe is, you know, every Friday we get up and we talk about what is it that we can celebrate for you this week. And it's okay if it's, I failed this week. Like, yay, you at least tried. You at least put yourself out there. We really have that as like a core, one of my core business philosophies. And I think that you have to do, as far as like claiming income goals or bragging, I think at some point it's required to talk about your success just for credibility. And I think some of us, I know in the beginning, and I'm still not perfect at it, struggle with that because it's uncomfortable sometimes to toot our own horns, especially as women. Um, you know, we've always been taught like, hey, great dress. And you're like, oh, this old thing? Instead of, you know, pushing off the compliments, instead of being like, thank you, I tried on eight things today and this is the one that won. <laughs> Right. Like we're not honest and upfront about it as much as we could be. So, so say I had my biggest month ever when you're going out there and you're building that context and showing that you, you know, you, you are succeeding is saying, I just had my biggest month ever good enough. Or do you think that there are some numbers needed behind that? Because that's the one thing that I see the most often is I, I just got out of my, you know, I just had my first $5,000 month or I've just had my first $10,000 month. And I'm wondering if there's a good point to stop at. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I'll like full transparency. I think it's different for everybody. I know like True. for me, I I came from a corporate sales background. And so talking numbers is not uncomfortable to me because that's what I have done my whole life in my career. But I can tell you that I had my first five figure month my second month in, or my third month in business, I'm sorry, like my second month taking clients. And um, I have not used that in my marketing materials. And there's a couple reasons for that. Um, I really think that it's easy for people to look at that stuff and, and get comparisonitis. Like, oh, well, she did it and, you know, she made $10,000 in the last 10 minutes and I haven't made $10,000 all year from my business and I must not be worth anything. And that's just so not true. Like you can't, 
compare your beginning to somebody else's middle. And I promise you, I promise you, promise you, promise you, if you see somebody who had a really big month right off the bat, this isn't their first rodeo. It's not the first time that they've done this because it just the law, it just doesn't work that way. That makes sense. Oh, that absolutely makes sense. So like, while I had a big month out of the gate, this was my third business. If you just see my first month of my first business, you would have probably cried for me. I know I cried. Like it was not the same thing, you know? And so you can't look at it and say like, oh my God, she just started. She's totally beating me because you have no idea what they've been doing prior to this. Oh, Who they've been working with or any of that. So Yes, I think that, you know, back to your original question, you can say like, well, I just had my best month ever, or I just had a $10,000 month. Like, absolutely. And let us celebrate that with you. But you have to take it with a grain of salt because you don't know what their journey is. And I literally do not believe in quantum leaps. It's not true. Like, sure, you were an overnight success and you've been working at it every day for the last five years. I love that. (laughs) I'm repeating that for you. Sure, you were an overnight success, but you've been working on it every night for the last five years. Yes. Like that's, I mean, that's truth. You know, I mean, this is a law of averages. This is getting good at your craft. Like you don't, you don't just wake up one morning and you're like, yes, I'm the best basketball player ever. And I'm in the NBA. Like it doesn't work that way. You have to put in the time and the energy and the practice and being in business, being in sales, being an entrepreneur is no different. You have to put in the time and the energy and the practice. I found myself getting jealous and actually just, I went through a big bout this summer for somebody in our community being jealous And finally, I realized I'm me. She is who she is. I've also had three babies since I started my business four years ago. Right. Which is huge. Yeah, which is huge. (laughs) And and I was huge. I mean, two of them are twins. So that adds a whole nother like challenge. I mean, if you're a mom, if, if you've had kids, I mean, I don't care if you've had them naturally, if you've adopted. I mean, having one is one thing. Having more than one. God bless you. That's all I got to say. But yeah, just you can't compare yourself to other people's stories because number one, you don't know truly what's going on behind the scenes. Number two, you don't know how much help they have and what their team looks like. You also don't know how much debt they're going into to build all of this success. And I think that's huge because it's one thing people don't really talk about in when they're talking about their successes is was all that profit or how much did I actually spend to make all of that? Oh my God. I'm so glad you brought that up because they're especially new entrepreneurs, I think don't really understand that. So like just in my instance, just saying I had a five figure month doesn't mean I had $10,000 in my bank account. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Like that's not, that's not how this works. And some people look at it, you know, I had a six figure month. Okay. You did. But what was your profit on that? You know, like I had a, a business to a business client, their profit margins were less than 1%. Ouch. Were they doing millions of dollars a year? Yes. But holy crap, like as fast as it was coming in, it was going out. And so you have to really look at it's a lot of other factors that go into this stuff. It's not just the sales amount or that big number in the beginning. You know, oh, I had a $100,000 month. But what I didn't tell you is I had $97,000 of the debt that went into it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I remember when I started my business, spending the $10 a month on Elance, I felt like, and then I think maybe $14 a month on GoDaddy or something like that. That felt like a big expenditure then. I'm no longer using GoDaddy and I'm no longer on Elance. But now it's, there is definitely a lot more money coming in, but there is definitely a lot more money going out. I mean, you start adding up things like Infusionsoft and, and lead pages and different trainings and masterminds and coaches and 
the things that you really need to do, like your clients are doing with you, Gretchen, going from the five to the six figure or the six figure to the seven figure. I mean, you can't pay a hundred dollars a month for a business coach and expect that type of massive change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think another thing that people don't take into account is everybody started somewhere. I started on GoDaddy. Like, like everybody starts somewhere. And so I think some people are just afraid to jump in because they can't afford the big things yet. You know, like, oh, I don't have a a sales funnel and this lady quoted me $10,000 to do that. So, you know, I can't start my business yet or I'm never going to be successful until I can afford stuff like that. Like, guys, none of that's true. None of that is true. Like, you can take baby steps and do what you can. Kim, I love what you were saying earlier about positive productivity and not perfect productivity. (laughs) You know, like... As a recovering perfectionist, done is better than perfect every single time. Oh, absolutely. Like every single time. So, you know, everybody starts somewhere. And if that's where you're starting, like own it. Go go celebrate that you took that step. <laughs> go do that because that's huge. You know, and then you'll take another baby step and another step. And before you know it, you're running. But it all starts with that first step. I so wish I had screenshots of my first website. I can see it in my head. And then, but seriously, that's probably all I want to see of it is yeah. just what I remember in my head. <laughs> but, yeah, but I mean, but it was that website that helped build the business and how you were saying about a $10,000 sales funnel. No, you don't need to spend $10,000. You can, a MailChimp account for $10 a month will let you set up automation that you can start building out your sales funnel. And those are smaller manageable things that you can do now that you don't need to break the bank. And who knows? All these softwares are constantly evolving and they might add their own features. So you may not need to upgrade to something that's costing, you know, $400 a month or more. Well, and, and again, you start somewhere. So let's say you get on the MailChimp one and you just start doing it. You know, as it converts, you're going to, A, learn a lot, you know, trying to figure out how to get it to convert, right? And then, B, once you've got it figured out, you know, you can press the gas pedal and keep on rocking and rolling. Um, in fact, I would highly encourage anybody, no matter what it is you're doing, if it's new to you, you don't want to fork out a ton of money in the beginning unless it's support. Support is different. But, you know, like a product or a service or something that, like that that you're taking on, with the exception of like a mentor or coaching or something like that, you know, start in the, just start little in the beginning until you get it working and then you can throw a bunch of money at it. But like you wouldn't run a bunch of Facebook ads to something you didn't know worked. I hope. Oh no. (laughs) Oh, that's like a pain point for me. People who don't know how to set up Facebook ads, but there's so many people who are talking about how much success that they're having with it that a lot of other people, try, they jump in because they want to have that same success, but they really don't know what they're doing. And I think the same happens a lot of times in video as well. A lot of people are having success in Facebook Live videos or Periscope or whatever apps are out there right now. It's hard to keep track of all of those. Yes, they change all the time. Absolutely. I haven't even tried Snapchat, and I think there was another one that started and then died almost simultaneously. Um, (laughs) But just because other people are doing it does not mean that you need to, including video. And I know some of the guests that have been on this podcast would disagree with me, but hey, I podcast. I don't video yet. Well, I think the important thing is to remember, because I see this all the time with 
um, with my clients who have these like preconceived notions about what success looks like and what they need to be doing in order to get there. And truthfully, like your business, like Kim's business isn't going to look like Gretchen's business and Gretchen's business isn't going to look like Tom's and everybody's going to be a little different because we all have, you know, different experiences, different expertise. Even if we had the exact same, you know, background and education, you know, our family upbringings are going to influence what we do and like just so many different factors that come into it that, you know, Kim's Facebook ad may not look like mine but they still may convert and bring me clients and that's okay. You know, all these people that have this like follow my 10 step plan to be successful. Like, does that work sometimes, especially if they're best business practices, like there's some things that everybody needs to be doing in business, but what's going to be the key to you innovating and changing the world. Isn't going to be the same thing that is going to help me innovate and change the world. And again, you can't compare what you're doing to somebody else. They it's, it's like apples and oranges. It's just so different. What was the first position you outsourced for your business? Um, for my consulting business or just in general? In general. Oh, marketing. Yeah. I know a lot of people, it's funny, like a very common misconception is that people assume that sales and marketing are the same thing and they are not. They are absolutely not. <laughs> and while I'm not bad at marketing, I don't love it. And so um, outsourcing that felt really good and it allowed me to focus on things that I love and enjoy. And I think anybody who's been able to find their passion when you get up and get to do things that you like every day, as opposed to this like long to do list of crap you don't want to do so much better. Would you agree or disagree with the comment that if you follow your passion, the money will come versus oh, totally following agree. the money? So totally agree. And I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> I mean, totally, totally true. Corporate sales, you know, there are a lot of people they're making a lot of money and they're doing it in unethical ways or things that are gray, like living, living, living in that gray area. And you can do that. You can do that. Like I've seen, I, I could name probably 20 people top of my head who are making high six figure, seven figure money every year living in that gray area. But what is true and consistent that I have seen over the last 15 years is that it is always limited. Like, yes, you can do it for two, three, four years, but at some point you burn out, you get stressed out, you start missing work, you stop producing in a way that feels good for you, so you stop doing it, and then the money goes away. And if you can find a way to make your business about the things that you love, you don't burn out. If you're constantly changing it and, and working with it in that way, then you, you don't have that drop off, and that's really, to me, the key to be sustainable. Um, are there ways in the beginning that you could kind of like, quote unquote, sell out and make more money? Probably, but you're going to shoot yourself in the foot long term. And I know like for me, this isn't a drop in the bucket. I'm going to be doing this in the next five years. I'm going to be doing this in 15 years. So in order to be in that place, I want to set myself up for success now because it's a whole lot harder to pivot when you have seven figures on the books than it is when you have $10,000 in the books. Oh, right. Yeah. Sort of like turning the the tractor trailer versus the little sports car. Oh, exactly. Or exactly. A sports car isn't probably the best example, but yeah. No, but same thing, focus, you know, yeah. if you had a train and you've got two cars behind you, it's a lot easier to change and change direction and do what you're doing than if you have a mile long train and you slam on the brakes. Like it's a lot harder. You're going to lose a lot more clients pivoting and you know, it just, it doesn't have to be that way. But I will say that if you found yourself in a position where what you're doing no longer serves you and you're not happy to be doing it, but you're stuck because you feel like you're stuck with the money. I've been there, totally been there. After my youngest was born, I 
was this whole existential crisis because I was in a job where I was making really good money, but I hated it. And I felt like it was like killing me inside very quickly, not even slowly, like really, really quickly. And I didn't know how to pivot. I didn't know what to do. And I felt like I was too old to change and too old to start something new. And that's, None of that's real. Like, that's just your ego talking. Like, you're never too old to start something new. You're never too old to pivot. I don't care if you're 90 years old right now. Like, you can change. And you can do something that sets your soul on fire and make money doing it. Oh, my gosh. I'm sitting here laughing to myself because I literally, I have probably 10 more years to pay on my student loans for the degree I graduated with in 2001. For a career path that I would never want to go back to ever again. Totally feel you. I I know that. Like, and I, was it a learning experience? Yes. I learned about relationship building. That's for sure. Am I ever, I have my degree in interior architecture and you would never know by looking at my house. Let's just put it that way. So (laughs) maybe someday I'll use those skills and I don't mind paying that student loan. I mean, I have to, that's what I signed up for, but I also, I don't regret it because now I'm doing what I love and hopefully someday it would be awesome to have that that windfall. Is windfall a good thing or a bad thing? It sounds sort of like it should be a bad thing, but I think everybody says it in a good way. Anyway, right? I, I don't think it has to be a bad thing. I don't know. But, you know, maybe someday I'll be able to pay it off in a, in a second and not have to worry about it anymore. But anyway, my point was just because I have a college degree in a certain subject does not mean I need, I'm stuck in that path forever. And if any of you are in that situation, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. No. And that's, I mean, I was exactly in that situation. Like my degree is in music. I don't do anything with it. (laughs) It doesn't really pivot into anything else. And everybody kept saying, well, you can go teach piano lessons. And I was like, I want to pull my hair out stab myself with, you know, in the eyes with toothpicks before I teach a little kid's piano lessons. Like, it's just not my thing. And, um, you know, I looked at going back to school and whoosh, the cost of education in this country has skyrocketed and it was crazy ridiculous. And it was like, I'm going to pay all this money out to make the same amount of money or less than what I'm making now at this job. And I mean, it was, the crisis is real. Like I guarantee that there's at least one of you out there listening to this podcast right now who's in that situation. And I felt very trapped. You know, my family had, you know, stuff. I had kids, I had a mortgage, car payments, like we had a life and I didn't want to sacrifice that. But I'll tell you what I did do. I took the vacation money that we had been saving and I invested it in my first business and I got a mentor and I said, listen, I just put all this money into my business and I have to have it back because I am not going to be that mom that turns around and tells their kids, like, we're not going on vacation because mommy spent the vacation money. And a combination of that determination and, you know, a really good mentor who had been there and done that before me, um, I was able to get that money back. So it doesn't have to be this like $10,000, $50,000, million dollar investment to start a business or to change what you're doing. It doesn't have to be that. Like it can be baby steps. Oh, absolutely. That's so huge, though. I love how you did that. It, it definitely must have been scary. I do want to uh, point out, though, um, I don't know how much my husband's story I've shared with podcast listeners, except for in the first episode, but my husband was, I have to do some math quick. He was already past 30 when he, when he slash we realized that it was time for him to pursue his dreams. And for him, pursuing his dreams did mean going back to school full time. And he actually condensed his four-year degree down into three, which led to the starting of my business. But it's never, it's never too late to get started, even if it does mean going back to school and taking out student loans. 
I mean, if that's what you got to do to pursue your passions, then do it. Mm, absolutely. Well, that, I mean, that was not the path that I took, uh, but that doesn't mean that's not the path for you. Right. And actually, my stepmom, she went to college after my sister and I started. And I don't want to put an age on her, but she wasn't a spring chicken when she got her master's. And, and she went and got her bachelor's with us, you know. So it's it's never too late to start. Well, and I think to your point here, um, whether you pay to go back to school or you invest in an, um, some oh, sort of an e-learning e course or something like e-learning is growing at ridiculous rates every year. So if you're not getting a piece of that, you should. You know, whatever you're doing, make a commitment to learn something new every day. Read 10 pages of a good book. Go back to school and learn something. Take an e-course. Get on um Udemy or however you say it. Or lynda.com. Yes. Just do something to keep your brain going. Like one, it's super good against like Alzheimer's and brain disease and all that, but it just, that's what life is about guys. Oh, absolutely. Well, Gretchen, I want to thank you for taking so much of your time for us today. And I want to be like, I want to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Hey, this is about positive productivity, not perfection. Mindful of your time. <laughs> so I think this is definitely a conversation that we're going to have to pick up again on another episode. But in the meantime, where can listeners find you and get in touch and learn more about you, you and your business and how you may be able to work together? Absolutely. So you can find me at GretchenMall.com and it's mall like you're shopping, M-A-L-L. -L. I am at Gretchen Mall across all social medias. So, you know, find me on Twitter and on Facebook and all that jazz. And yeah, I mean, if you're looking to grow your business, it doesn't matter if you're going from like zero to three or from 10 to 20 or, you know, a hundred thousand to a million a year, like I can help you do that. I've done it all. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much again, Gretchen. And thank you to listeners for being here for another episode of Positive Productivity. If you enjoyed what you heard and you know of anybody who could benefit from this information, please share the episode in your social media feeds. And I'd also love your reviews and ratings on iTunes or Stitcher. So thanks again, Gretchen. Oh, absolutely. And you guys shout me out on Twitter when you, when you hear this, I would love to see who's listening. Hey there, this is Kim Sutton, host of the positive productivity podcast. And I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and were inspired, I would love to hear your feedback please take a moment or two and visit the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or on my website at thekimsutton.com to leave your rating or review. I'd also like to invite you to join the Positive Productivity Book Club and to find out more about my coaching packages by visiting thekimsutton.com. Until the next episode, I hope you have a positive and productive day.